since it's been a while since we've been together, there's a few things we ought to pray about together. Uh, you pay attention to the headlines and the, the politics. This, this evening kind of sits squarely between these two political conventions, and boy, the disunity in our country couldn't be more strong. I, it doesn't matter to me who you vote for or what your politics are, but boy, our country needs to be healed, doesn't it? Can we agree on that? Yeah. So Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit on all things, including the systems and the government and the leaders. We ask that you would do a work of renewal. We believe this is what you do, that you renew, that you bring new life. And so we, we come to you as, as just one little group of people here in this country uh, that are willing to bend their knees to your sovereignty and to your authority, to your kingship. And we ask that you would, uh, first of all, heal uh, the disunity that we feel in our own hearts. We pray that we would strive and endeavor uh, to love above all things and that you would however you choose, to bring about goodness in the presence of your kingdom, that you would start with us. And we pray that for those that extend far beyond us as well. And so we pray for those that lead, those that might one day lead. We pray for those that have authority, that they would use it on your behalf. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. We all say together, amen. I see uh, among us a family that I know really well, that good friends of mine, the Feenies. In fact, Thomas, I think, is Thomas and Dana are here. Thomas, are you sitting up, up there? You want to stand up, Thomas? So this is uh, Thomas uh, Feeney. He's, he's in the back. I think he's maybe standing up. There he is. He didn't want to stand up. Um, and Dana's there beside him. Uh, the Feenies have been a part of our church family for, uh, for some time. And they went on an adventure in the middle of COVID and found themselves in a place in, in Michigan, and God led and God intersected in their lives in such unique and powerful ways. On Tuesday, they'll be moving to Glen Arbor, Michigan. And uh, so Thomas and Dana will be uh, the hosts and uh, managers of a facility, a hotel facility there that's on uh, Glen Lake there in Michigan. And uh, so Thomas and I had coffee last week, and I got to hear about their adventure. And I, I can't tell you the whole thing right now, but I can tell you this, that um, if you were to hear his story, then you would be inspired to obey God in every moment, wherever you find yourself crossing anyone's paths. And this is what they did for the last seven to nine weeks. They found themselves moving across the country, staying and camping in various places, and then all of a sudden now God's taking their family on a grand adventure. So Thomas, uh, we want to say that we will miss you deeply. Uh, we hope that you come back home soon, but you enjoy your year with the kids up there in Glen Arbor. But our prayer is that God would continue to lead you on this great adventure. So as a body, let's just pray for the Feenies, okay? Lord, we pray your blessing on the Feenies. We pray that you would bless them as they uh, launch out in obedience to you. We're grateful that we can call them friends and family, and we can't wait to hear how you interact with them and the people that will stay at the place that they get to provide hospitality and love, and we pray that you would give them uh, every good thing. We ask this in the name of Jesus. We say together, amen. You can give the Phoenix a hand if you would. Thank them for being obedient and allowing us to see as warriors on their journey. We're going to pray for another family in our church. Uh, Bill and Don Danner are a part of our church as well, and uh, 
some of you know Dawn because she works in our children's ministry, and uh, maybe you've seen their family around quite a bit. Dawn's oldest son, Tristan, he was 24, passed away this week. It was an untimely death, a tragic death, and uh, they're reeling from it, and obviously in deep grief and mourning. And um, even as I say this, I know that that some of that same grief and mourning is present in this place, even with some of my friends. And I pray that, uh, that God would meet them in that grief and that we as their church family can surround them. So would you join me as we pray for them? Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit on the Danners. We pray that you would give them all that they need as well. We pray that where they are right now, maybe at home or maybe with a family, that they would feel our prayers and our love through the power of your spirit, that they would feel strangely warm, strangely comforted, that they would know that they are not alone. And for those in our midst tonight here in this place, Lord, that are dealing with grief in its many and various forms, some of it expressed and some of it mourned and some of it hidden and some of it private, Lord, my prayer is that they would feel the same comfort from your spirit. Because, Lord, as isolated as we may have been over the last six months, we are not alone, and you are with us, and your promise is that you would never leave us. And so we pray that that would be felt deeply within our hearts and our souls on this evening, this beautiful evening. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. We say it together. We say amen. So here's what I'd like for you to think about. Talk about this scripture that's on the card that's in front of you. We're going to talk about it just a little bit. Here's what I'd like for you to ponder. What have you learned about yourself over the last six months? In early March, as the church began to figure out what it looked like for us to go through a pandemic, you had to do the same thing. You had to set aside some of your hopes and dreams. Maybe some of your fears came front and center. Name it. If you had to name it, if you had to describe it to somebody that you trusted with your own heart, what have you learned about yourself over the last six months? Some of you have learned that you are fear-centered, and that the fear is just underneath the surface. And all it takes is a shift in circumstances for that fear to show up. And it comes out in all kinds of ways. It comes out when you express your feelings. It comes out through anger. It comes out through anxiety, of course. Or maybe it comes out through withdrawing. What have you learned about yourself over the last six months? Some of you have learned that you're stronger than you ever thought you knew. Some of you have learned that you're far more reliant on the normal happening for peace. And when things are stripped away from you, your peace seems to go right along with it. What have you learned about yourself? I mean, you've learned about all kinds of things from headlines and all sorts of sources. You've learned, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea. It seems like this. It seems like that. There's information out there, but none of it seems to be reliable and trustworthy. You've learned some things about 
your government or the CDC or doctors or systems or neighbors or friends, but what have you learned about yourself? This is the question that will help you figure out what the next six months will be like. As you are at a crossroads and we had this glimpse, almost like the sun peeking through those clouds a minute ago, that, oh, maybe, maybe it's possible. You maybe think things are starting to become a little bit more normal, and then you turn on and see an NBA game with nobody in the stands. Or you visit a restaurant, it feels like a ghost town. Or kids go back to school, sort of, kind of, but not really. And so we wonder about what is coming. Back in June, Donna and I, we bought a camper a little tiny camper. It's not that tiny. I mean, we can stand up in it, but we're not tall people, you know. It's a little camper. Donna said, I think, I think we might want to have a camper. And so I started looking because I'm the buyer of things in our house. And she's not the buyer of things. So when she suggests something to buy, I'm usually on it pretty quick. So she said, maybe we can have a camper. Maybe we should get a camper. We started looking, found some campers, looked at some campers. And then we found the one that we wanted. The only problem was it was in Madison, Wisconsin. But it was a unique camper and so I texted her a link while she was at work one day and said, here's the camper. I put down a deposit on it. And she's like, whoa, wait a minute. I said, you said buy a camper, right? <laughs> so we're buying a camper. Donna's dad lives in Lexington, Kentucky, and, and he's a widower. And um, he was through the beginning of the pandemic just going out of his mind, just bored as could be. He didn't want to be out among people, a little fearful of the virus as maybe we should be. And so we called him, and I said, uh, hey, Jack, because his name's Jack. And so I said, hey, Jack, how would you like to drive to Madison, Wisconsin, and then all the way to Colorado? And he said, what time can I leave? And so he was ready to go. So he loaded up his big F-150 truck and made his way all the way to Madison, picked up our trailer for us, and brought it all the way to Colorado. And this was really good because not only did it give him something to do, but we got to see him, and we've been missing family through this time because all of our family lives in Kentucky and a few other places, but mainly Kentucky. And so we got to see Jack, and it was also good because for a living, Jack pulled trailers. This is what he did. He had a big rig, and he did it all the time. Ever since Donna was a little girl, they would take their vacations wherever he needed to pull a trailer to or from, and so they would load up. Donna's mom was the escort, and they would make their way across oh, the hills of West Virginia or maybe down to D.C., one time all the way out to California, and Jack knew how to pull trailers. I don't know anything about trailers, and so I was so glad that Jack was there to teach me because I needed to learn if I'm going to pull a trailer. He showed up, and we're doing some things with the trailer, and he says to me, are you going to hook up the trailer brakes? I said, what are trailer brakes? And then I'm going to Google, trailer brakes. I, I asked him, I said, my trailer has brakes? He said, oh, no. Yes, your trailer has brakes. And he taught me all about how to hook them up. He showed me how the chains work and how to put the receiver in and how to put the ball on, all those kinds of things. And so I asked him, I said, let me know, Jack, you've been pulling trailers a long time. Did you ever lose a trailer? Did one ever come off the hitch? He said, only twice. <laughs> only twice? This is not a good track record. You're still alive. And he told me the stories. And there we are in my driveway, me and Jack just laughing about his adventures and misadventures and pulling a trailer. But he taught me all about it. I had a lot to learn. I've never had a trailer. You've never been through a pandemic. You've had so much to learn. 
about how to be kind, about how to be thoughtful? Is this virus something to fear? Is it something to set aside? Is it something to ignore? How do you find a balance? And of course, the political nature of what's happening in our country has left you feeling probably shoved one way or the other, divided one direction or another. And even if you've wanted to stay in the middle, it feels like the middle is a knife edge that you can't walk very carefully without getting shoved. Is that dog bugging anybody other than me? (laughs) Just checking, just checking. It's all right, it's all right. So Jack was teaching me. It's hard to learn new things, and you've been learning new things. And what that means is, is that you have to think about every step along the way. It's not second nature to you yet. You don't know how to go through a stressful time like this. None of us have ever experienced it. And so the learning curve has felt very much like a wall. And so I learned about trailer brakes and how these chains go on. Jack and I worked on the emergency breakaway for the brakes on this trailer. And my goodness, the things I had to learn. I was so nervous pulling away from our house. We were only going to Walgreens. (laughs) You you laugh. We were. I said, Jack, you can't leave town until I've pulled this thing at least around the block. And so we hooked the trailer up and literally drove to Walgreens in the parking lot and back to my place. And so Donna and I started slow with camping. We started up at Chatfield. And so we got the trailer out, towed it all the way up to Chatfield (laughs) and camped for a couple days while we tried to break things and figure out how it worked. And we figured, you know, I'm not far from home. If I forget a screwdriver, I can go home and get it. And everything worked fine. And then we took a trip a little further up into the mountains, up near Mount Princeton for our real baptism of fire and camping. It was kind of a remote place beautiful place, trees near a lake. Thank goodness to a a church person who gave us their campground for a couple of days, and we just loved it. It It's beautiful, quiet, stars we could see that we couldn't see back here in Denver, of course. And that first night, everything got really quiet, and then it got really dark, and we got into our trailer, got ready to sleep for the night, laid down, Donna, out like a light. And I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, you know, we're kind of remote here. It's a little frightening. I mean, we have a hard-sided camper, but, you know, there's not much between us and the elements and, you know, some 'er ne'er-do-well or whoever that wants to cause us trouble. And so I began thinking about all the different ways that things could go wrong and fear began to creep in. Here's why I think it did that night. I'm not normally a fearful person, but I think over the last several months, fear has become a little bit of a habit. Now, I don't spend my time wringing my hands or being fearful, but with uncertainty looming, I can think of a few reasons that we might be fearful. Can you think of any? Has they, have they come easy for you over the last six months? Maybe it's your business that you're wondering if it will fail. Maybe it has something to do with your family or the tension that's there. Maybe it has something to do with even not economics at all, but just you wondering about what it might feel like to get back to normal. Well, I could think of all the things that could go wrong laying in this trailer, but finally I drifted off to sleep. Quietness, we could hear a babbling brook through our screen window. I mean, it was beautiful. At 2 a.m., Donna sat straight up in bed and said, in a voice that was not hers, 
you get away from here. That's what she said. And so I wet the bed, woke up just in time to hear the rest of her sentence. And of course, I was convinced somebody was on the outside of our trailer trying to come in. She had had a dream. And, uh, you know, what happened in the dream is irrelevant. But uh, that was enough for her to wake up and say in a very deep and throaty voice, you get away from here. And so she said, I had a dream. I said, oh, I, I bet. I bet you did. And now my heart's going, probably 110, you know. I mean, it's, it's thumping. And she said, oh, I'm glad that was just a dream. She laid down and was out again like a light. And I laid there at least another hour because this fear, of course, has become a bit of a habit. So let me ask you, when you ponder this question about what it means what you've learned about yourself over the last six months. One of the ways that you'll find the answer is to answer this one. It's a little easier. It's a little less 30,000 foot. It's a little less esoteric, and it's this. What have the habits been that you've adopted over the last six months? What kind of habits? Habits usually find us. We don't usually go after them once we're adults. Habits like brushing our teeth or making our bed or you know, cleaning well or any of those things. They're things that we're taught and they're second nature to us. But here's my suspicion for most of us. We have developed some habits over the last six months that have not served us well. Some of those habits could be uh, maybe as benign as researching numbers or trying to figure out, just in case, you know, the CDC calls us for advice. Some of those habits could be the way we slink back into modes of fear and suspicion. And that suspicion could be as large as maybe one half of the government, or it could be as minor as the person who lives in our home. But, of course, that is more severe and damaging. What kind of habits have you leaned into over the last six months? Like it or not, the habits that we have, they define us. We would like to think that we're defined by our values or our our big mission statement or our big hopes and dreams, but usually those are things that are really just a little bit out of reach. But our habits are the things that you engage in every day of the week. And the habits will determine that you grab. These habits will determine whether you are more trusting or more suspicious, more loving or more aggressive. These habits will determine whether or not you lean into who God is and what he's doing in these days, or you resist him. Last week, this is sort of a part two, but last week we defined the gospel as first of all surrender, and then of course what follows surrender in the gospel story is suffering, and what follows suffering is always death. But on the other end of death is this moment of new life. Now that that progression is inevitable with all of us. It's going to happen one way or another. But some of you are on the front edge of surrender, and you haven't yet opened your hands up to say, God, what are you doing? Who can I become? How are you shaping me? How can I become more like you? Now, the card that you have, maybe nearby or in your hands, or you can pick one up on the way out, it's the program that we typically hand out at church, but since we've experience COVID, we haven't handed one of these out since early March. 
what you'll see on the back side or the front side, it doesn't matter, is, is this, this passage from Romans 12, 9 through 21. The whole chapter of Romans 12 is a kind of a path for each of us, and it starts off talking about surrender. That's what we focused on last week. But the where, where this chapter goes and what's included on this card in front of you is a very practical application of what it means to learn how to live through the fear and the uncertainty of a pandemic. If you take the passages there, these verses 9 through 21, you could pretty quickly count them up. There are about 25 behaviors, attitudes of the heart, or ways that you interact with other people that are listed, 25. What you could do over the next several weeks is, is pick one or two in a given week and underline it and decide, whatever about my other habits or my, my habits of being driven to the news for security or information or, or my habits about checking the stock market or checking in with my employer to make sure I'm going to have a job on Monday, those are all maybe essential habits in some ways, but they won't give you peace or security. They won't help you become who God is leading you to become. But these habits will. It's the power of Scripture. It's useful to guide you and lead you down this path that Jesus has prescribed for you. Remember how it starts with surrender? Suffering is inevitable. No one gets through life without it. Death also, you know that to be the case as well, but then new life on the other end. New life is experienced when these habits become a part of your fabric, a part of the way you interact with other people. And so some of you might look at this list and you might decide, well, here's one. It's, goodness sakes, it's the third sentence. Honor one another above yourselves. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to do it in every chance I get. I'm going to do it with a neighbor I can't stand. I'm going to do it with a coworker I want to be done away with. I want to do it with my family member that I'm so glad we're in COVID and we can't be together. I'm going to do it with the people that are difficult for me to be around and hard for me to love, and some of those people are in my very own household. Honor one another above yourselves. What does that even mean? Wouldn't it be great if you had to wrestle with that for a week? If you had to ask, what would that look like? If I took what I wanted and put it beneath the priority of what somebody else wants, if I allowed their honor to be higher than mine, what does honor even mean? Great question. And so this is the habit I will dig into this week. I just picked one. Which one will you pick? There's 25. 25 ways for you to engage in love. We even broke out the passage into three big ideas for you. Love must be sincere. There's about 14 ways to live that out. And then live in harmony with one another. There's about 10 in that passage as well. And then at the very bottom, one of the best, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Any of you that have tried to read Scripture at some point in time and decided, I don't understand it, will you understand these? Anybody that's given up on God's wisdom for the path for your life, well, maybe Romans 12 will change your mind about that. If you're wondering about how to heal a relationship, living out these commands and instructions and guidelines, and what well, will heal any relationship if you choose to live this way? Can you imagine what your family would be like if you lived these out? 
Can you imagine what our culture would be like if they were lived out? Can you imagine what the political discourse would be like if these values were front and center? I don't mean on a national scale. I just mean in your neighborhood. Can you imagine what peace you would have if you decided getting your way wasn't the path to happiness? According to Romans 12, according to the Gospels, according to almost every portion of Scripture, it's not. There is a path that God wants to take you down. Of course, it involves surrender, and that's the toughest part for most of us. Because when suffering comes, we want to back that surrender way up. Of course, they follow surrender and suffering and death. But then, ah, we all want the promise of new life. New life. I could use a little bit of that, couldn't you? So here's my challenge for you. As we have gathered and you had the chance to look around and be reminded that you are not alone in this, that you are tied together with these people. Oh, it doesn't matter whether this is your church or not. These are people that desire to walk and live and serve God and know him more fully and more completely. And they've been doing it in their homes just like you've been doing it in your home. They've been trying to figure out at their workplace the same way you have been as well. And the struggle is real, and it's painful, and it's hard, and it's uphill, and Jesus said it was a narrow road. But Jesus also said that he would never leave you, that he would always be with you, and that he would give you strength for this journey. Ah, the pandemic is no surprise to God. Your pain is no surprise to God. He knows about it. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And he knows what difficulties you're going to experience, not just over the last six months, but tomorrow and the next day. He knows. And he wants to walk with you through every bit of it. I'm going to lead you through a bit of a time of prayer. And There's a song that has been important, really, to our church body through this whole time. It's called The Blessing, and Josh and the team are going to come up and lead us through that as we wrap up. Let me, let me just ask you just walk through this prayer with me, okay? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, this, this first path, this first step on the path that we describe of surrender, we come to you because we're broken people. We can think of Numerous occasions, Lord, when we have uh, failed you, when we have fallen short. It could have been through a display of mistrust in you. It could have been through an angry temper outburst. It could have been through just withdrawing and deciding that we were going to just try to hibernate through all of this mess. Lord, we surrender to you. And we confess that that our way isn't the best way, that we often just want what we want and the way we want it. And so we just open our hands to you right now. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you can do that if you want. Just physically lay your palms open before God. Upward, heavenward. Fingers extended. a physical representation of your surrender and for some of you ah, I know your story 
that God asks for surrender from us is no small thing. And he knows this. Lord, we're like the disciples. When so many had turned and left, but Jesus, your closest friends were there, and you turned and looked at them and said, are you going to leave too? And their response was our response right now. Where else would we go? We don't want another path. We've tried our own way. We've come to the end of ourselves. Where else would we go? You have the words of life. You alone. So we surrender to you, God. And we say that even if suffering and and death follows, we desire the new life that only you can bring. And so we walk this path. And so we claim the promise that you will never leave us, that you will always be with us. We believe that even in grief or uncertainty or pain or difficulty, that your presence can seem distant, but it's in fact closer. Lord, that you would provide for us in such incredible ways. And so right now, with your hands open, would you just name a few of those ways that God has provided for you, specifically for you. Maybe it's that you've been able to pay your bills. Maybe it's that you've recovered from an illness. Maybe it's that you honestly can't think of one thing that you have lacked over the last several weeks, maybe many months. So, Lord, we ask that this scripture would speak to us. So if you want, just grab that card and and look at it right now. Open your eyes and take a look. Lord, which one of these things do you want us to live out this week? Which one of these ideas can we make one of our habits? Or we we, we don't want to engage in habits uh, in unthinking, unthoughtful ways. But we do want it to be our second nature that we honor people above ourselves, that we mourn with those who mourn, that we rejoice with those who rejoice, that we forgive easily, that we love sincerely. We want these things to be second nature. Lord, we confess that for all of us, they, they aren't. In so many ways, they aren't. So Lord, we have no idea what's around the corner for us. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. But we do know that you will bring us and that you will be with us. And so what we can count on, Lord, is that you desire for us to become like your son Jesus in all of these very tangible and practical and specific ways. So give us the courage to move towards you, not not in some 
just theological or philosophical way, but in this practical way of living these statements out. May they become real to us. May they describe us. Lord, may we look up in six months and say, wow, what a roller coaster we've been on, but I, I know God better and my relationships are richer. And I love more fully and I forgive more easily. Lord, continue to do your work in us. And we believe, Lord, that we can't do any of it without your power. And so we ask that you would pour it out on us. Your blessing. Would you give it to us, Lord? So we pray this. We sing it with these lyrics over each other. And we pray that, uh, that you would be in us and that you would go with us.